Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Krishna, producing, and today we're talking about the state of the Celtics. We have Keith Smith. He is a contributor at Spot Track, the Celtics blog, and the NBA front office show. Keith, how you doing and how you feeling about the state of the Celtics? I'm doing well. Thank you guys so much for having me. And yeah, it's uh, hard to be anything but excited about both the Celtics. I had a little bit of a bummer news with Danilo Gallinari and, you know, we'll see where that goes. But but uh, so far, you know, the rest of it's pretty good. So it's uh, it, it's an exciting time for, for uh, the world of the Celtics right now. So from uh, the standpoint of the West Coast where I am, it seems like it has been an absolute whirlwind, right? They make that trade for Derek White in the middle of the season. Robert Williams ascends to an amazing level on defense. They take off. They go to the finals. Uh, And then in the offseason, there was the uh, the KD trade rumors. So it just seems absolutely crazy from my perspective. How warm did the water get on your end for that KD trade? Yeah, it was it was interesting because it was one of those things where it, of course, when he made the the trade request, there was a whole should Boston go for him? Can can they get involved here? And that became a talking point for a week or so. And then everything kind of went quiet. Then there was uh, reports came out of, you know, the Celtics have talked about going for KD. And then that was another week. So it was like every couple weeks, something I hesitate to even say new. Let's just say more <laughs> came out. Um, and when it came out, that just turned into everybody, you know, starting it all over again. I from everything I've been able to determine and talking to some people, it doesn't seem like it ever really got all that close. Um, it seemed like it was really kind of around the idea of like the Celtics, like 28 other teams called the Nets <laughs> and said, hey, so KD and the Nets were like, yeah, we need, you know, Jalen Brown and this and this and this and this and this. And the Celtics are like, yeah, we're not doing that. Let's move along. And then we'll see where it goes, uh, you know, down the line. And if maybe uh Brooklyn had come down a little bit on their ask. Maybe Boston would have come up slightly and they would have got something done. But but I think the Celtics were really locked into. We're not giving up Jalen Brown plus, 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 because that's just not worth it to us as a team. Yeah, that, that makes sense, especially a team that just went to the finals that is so young. Exactly. Uh, but they do make a trade. They uh, bring in Malcolm Brogdon, and he seems like a really good fit. Um I know that they haven't exactly had the most prototypical ball handler the last few years. I know Marcus Smart has sort of forced himself into that role. And I feel like in a good way, understanding that that's what the team needed. Uh, But Brogdon, I feel like, brings some really strong things to the table. He was 95th percentile in rim shot creation among starting guards. How do you see him fitting into an already pretty established team? Yeah, I think the hope if you're Boston is that Malcolm Brogdon comes in and is really a stabilizing force. Uh, We saw as they got deeper and deeper into the playoffs, turnovers became more of an issue. And I very much believe if they had just turned the ball over at a normal rate in the finals, they probably win the championship. It was uh, the games that they lost. They were just throwing the ball all over the gym. And it's (laughs) it's not that the Warriors are, you know, this historically great turnover forcing defense either. So it was really just I think Boston got extremely sloppy and credit to Golden State. They took full advantage. So I think having Brogdon come in as another guy who can 
just when things are getting a little out of control like that, you can kind of hand them the reins and say, hey, get us settled down. Let's get guys into some stuff, run the offense, create some things there. And then also he has the benefit of because he's done it so much in his career. He's very good off ball as well. The last thing you really want when you have guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, everybody screams about we got to get a Chris Paul type. Well, Chris Paul types, one, he's one of one. There, there aren't, you know, Chris Paul types, really, I don't think, anymore. But he's also, he's going to have the ball a lot. And you want uh, Brown and Tatum to have the ball quite a bit. And then you want them to be able to, you know, kick out to shooters when, when things get locked up for their own individual offense. And I think Brogdon's going to bring quite a bit there. So I think all around, uh, he should be a really good fit. And he's a solid enough defender that you can continue to play that switch everything scheme that they like to play because he can't really hold up against most guys. Uh, Jason Tatum, everything, you know, kind of revolves around him. He had a really tough finals, but had a really good regular season. He was actually second in our LeBron war metric. He seems like a player that doesn't have really any glaring weaknesses. Uh, but where do you think he needs to improve his game to hopefully, if they get back to another finals, not have that repeat kind of disappointing performance. Yeah, I think finishing at the rim remains still at times a bit of a question mark. He was better than ever uh, last year um, right at the rim. I think he shot a career high percentage if I have that right. So it's I just think this is now we're in a situation with Jason Tatum where it is. All right, we, we'd like to see him just really that is – when he gets there, it's going to be finished. And there's still occasionally some questions. He talked a lot, which it's, you can kind of go back and forth on this about the fact that he is, uh, he, he is, he wore down at the end of the year. So he's talked a lot about building himself up physically. And I think that is, probably true but i think there's also a factor in there of he basically went from the bubble season to the next season to the olympics right into this season and he just hey you know one of his greatest things is this guy just rarely ever misses games i think uh you know 76 games last year and that that missing six regular season games is is a lot for him uh at this point is in his career so i think we're we're in a spot where there are definitely things he can improve upon, but I think for the most part, he is really, really good. And and I think seeing his improvement as a playmaker for others has been massive because we knew almost from day one in the league, this guy's going to score. He, he can can definitely do some stuff with the ball in his hands, but seeing him jump up to about four and a half assists per game, that's big. And I think that'll just continue to climb uh, for him as he learns how to now be the true focal point of the, uh, the opposing team's defense on a night tonight basis uh he's an interesting star because the defensive metrics really like him and uh also in that playoff run it, it felt like that was on full display i feel like for a national audience uh what has his defensive development looked like throughout his career yeah i think he was always a very good help defender uh, when he came into the league because he's got that great length so he would come over his first few years he averaged right just below a block per game i think it was i think he was you know right around that marker um and then he was really good at jumping passing lanes and getting steals and those kind of things there was a period of time his first couple of years where brad stevens used him as basically his designated double teamer <laughs> where he would send him because he had that 
uh, length, and he's also very quick, so he could recover back to his guy. Um, now, I think what's happened in the last couple of seasons is he has taken on the role of the the big wing stopper. Marcus Smart is obviously their guy. They're going to put on everybody and say, hey, go go shut this guy down, take him out of the game. But when they get those bigger wings, like what we saw in the series against the Nets, it's Jason Tatum that they're very often going to say, hey, all right, we want you to lock up that guy. Jalen Brown, more often than not, even when Tatum is playing like a four in the offense, if Brown's out there, Brown's probably going to cover the bigger guy um, just because he has a little bit more bulk and he'll kind of hold um, his position a little bit better. But if it's a perimeter scorer, especially a guy who's you know going to have a dribble package or something like that to create offense, they're going to put Tatum on that guy quite a bit and, and feel really good about putting him out there. So, yeah, it's I think it gets missed because he is such a special offensive player that he is an absolutely tremendous defender as well. Jalen Brown, talked about him a little bit there. He is the kind of Robin to Jason Tatum's Batman. Uh, he is a player that I feel like we've seen progress a lot uh, since he's joined the league. And an interesting tidbit Christian actually pulled up. So in 2016, Clay Thompson was basically 73rd percentile in LeBron overall impact. Uh, in 2022, Jalen Brown, 71st percentile in overall impact. So very similar as sort of a secondary guy impacting the offense. Where do you see him going as these two guys enter their primes? Yeah, I think in some ways he is, even though he's got a year uh, more on Tatum in, in terms of being in the league, I think he's almost a year behind Tatum in terms of development. Tatum basically walked in and it was, you're a starter from day one, let's go. Jalen Brown came in, is came off the bench for most of his rookie year, then started. Then it was, hey, everybody's healthy. Guess what? You're going back to the bench again. <laughs> and that team ended up being a disaster. Um and I think what's happened is his role has yo-yoed quite a bit because of that. It's been, you're going to start, you're going to come off the bench. We need you to score. We need you to defend. We need you to do this and that. And I think he has done a pretty good job developing despite not having anything resembling a consistent role. Now he's up to the point where it's it, him and Jason Tatum are one, one a in terms of the offense. It's going to be you know, give, him the ball and we can trust him to do a lot of the same things we trust Jason Tatum to do. He's got to tighten up his handle. That's probably his single biggest thing. Um, he makes makes a life you know very difficult on himself at times, but he, you know, when he doesn't really need to, um, which is that that's I think just a, a skill he needs to work on. But yeah, well, once he gets there, I think he's gonna be pretty good. Uh Al Horford, he had a fantastic playoff run. Uh, he's a very good all-around player, but he is getting long in the tooth. Um, how do you see him aging? I think he's entering maybe his 36, uh, age 36 season. I feel like he was a really big part of their playoff run. Uh, how, how do you see that going as this team you know, heads into the future? Yeah, that's actually, it's well, it's great that he played so well in his return to Boston and, and really maintained all the way through the playoffs. It is a little worrisome how reliant the team was on him being so good um, because of, as you called out, yeah, he's 36 now. So this is not a uh, a guy that, you know, at that age, we, we don't necessarily trust, uh, you know, hey, yeah, he'll keep, you know, doing his thing and plugging along. But I, I think he's got kind of the game where, he can just kind of keep doing what he does. And and I think uh, playing next to, next to Robert Williams, that allows Williams to do a lot of the 
um, heavy lifting as far as the rim protection stuff goes. Horford becomes the more the, the I, I like to say he's like almost like the bulk big. It's like all right, we're going to put him on the, the stronger big man and say all right, you're going to take all the banging, and then that allows Rob to do what he's so special at, which is you know just basically fly all over the place and do your do what he does. But I think. You know, Horford is so smart on the offensive end, too, that it's basically you still position him in all the spots you ever did. Didn't shoot it great last year. He's down around 34%, which is not, you know, good for since he's kind of become a three-point shooter. He's been uh, generally above that. So that's a little concerning but he finished better inside than he had in years i think that's just a matter of having better talent around him maybe um but they run offense through him quite a bit and still use him as a passer and those kind of things so i think we have a chance to see it still level um or keep its level from from a year ago but if there's any one player that i'm probably most concerned about in this entire lineup it's just al horford because yeah, age 36, you know, uh, did this deep into his career. Are we really expecting this to just kind of keep keep plugging along the way it has? Yeah, the data backs up the playmaking, too. He was uh, 86th percentile among starting bigs uh, in our playmaking talent. That's a, that's a good segue into Rob Williams. Um, I feel like just had an absolutely bonkers year protecting the rim, blocking shots, really popped in the playoffs. And, you know, I know he was battling through some injuries, but the data really likes him a lot. And I know the Celtics signed him to a extremely team friendly deal. Um, how do you see him progressing as a player as maybe more than just, you know, a great help defender and a shot blocker? Yeah, provided he stays healthy, I really think the sky is the limit with, with Rob. Um, he is uh, on offense outstanding offensive rebounder. He's got to be up there with the absolute best uh, in the entire league. He is also an elite, elite, elite finisher. I, there, there's times when you're watching this team where I think they almost play a game within a game of how high can we throw it? And <laughs> he's still going to get it right. It's and it's just, there's times when I'll be watching a game and they're on like, you know, a three on two fast break. And I see the pass go up and I'm like, well, that's going into the seats. And, (laughs) you know, more often than not, he catches it and, and puts it down. But he is the thing that gets overlooked. He is also much like Al Horford, a very, very good passer. He just understands angles. He understands spacing. uh, He understands touch and zip on passes when it's, you know, time to float one, when it's time to gun one Um, does play a little bit of hot potato at times. That's a little worrisome where it's, there are times when it's like, "Ah, you know, hold it for a beat you know, maybe something else will open up or maybe you'll find a shot for yourself. Um, He's, he doesn't have much of a jump shot. But he, when he does take it, it actually looks pretty good. Um, so that's something I think we're all going to be kind of watching for to see what happens. Defensively, it all came together for him last year with the shot blocking, um, just really kind of holding his own. He was better on the boards than he had been in his prior years uh, in the league. So they were able to trust him to play longer. Um, when he initially had started playing, he was really kind of a foul machine um, where it was like, I don't know. But this year, was he was down under uh, three fouls um, per game and under three fouls per 36 minutes, which is absolutely huge um, for him and his ability to stay on the floor in that respect. But it's the injuries. 61 regular season games, career high, nearly 30 minutes per game, played over 1,800 regular season minutes. There is a worry that, you know, can he hold up? And if there's a, a weak spot on this roster right now, it's in the big man rotation. 
Horford is very good. Rob Williams is very good. Grant Williams is pretty good. But after that, it's a whole bunch of question marks. And that's where it starts to get a little, you know, potentially, you know, could get sideways if Rob can't stay healthy. I think ideally they would like to limit him to 25 to 28 minutes per game in an ideal world. He's probably going to have to play close to 30 just because they're going to um, definitely reduce Horford's minutes this year. But as long as he stays healthy, really the sky is the limit for him. Uh, and I don't mean that in any kind of you know cheeky pun because I'm not that good. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the data definitely backs that up. Uh, incredible lob threat, 91st percentile in our stable pick and roll, roll man points per possession, elite rim protection for he's in our helper role at basketball index, uh, 97th percentile there, and then above average passer for starting big man. So I feel like that Al Horford, Rob Williams duo is one of the most unique in the league. I was actually digging through the data, I think maybe a week ago, and I felt like the only uh, other duo that had that versatility in terms of defensive impact and being able to guard on ball on switches, because both of those players are also very good at that, was the Cavs with Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. And I feel like that, uh, you know, we're seeing it trend sort of back to you can play two defensive big men as long as one of them can maybe stretch the floor or offer you something offensively um, that can maybe, you know, break up the paint a little bit. And I think Al Horford, like you said, didn't shoot it amazing uh, in the regular season last year, but his playoff numbers, uh, I think, throughout his career from three are very, very good. Uh, is is the key to this defense? I know you talked about they do have switchability. They do have depth uh, at the wings. Uh, but does does Al Horford and Rob Williams like make that entire defensive system go or, or is it more complicated than that? Um, I think it's slightly more complicated than that because I think some of it is the fact that if you're going to play on this team, you have to be able to hold your own against anybody. And that doesn't mean I think people turn that into meaning you have to shut down whoever you switch on to. No, it's just you need to hold that guy long enough until either help can come or they can scram you out of it or whatever the situation may be. Like I look at Peyton Pritchard. Um, he is among at least last year's rotation players. He's the worst defender, but it's not that he's a bad defender. He's just small. Um, he, but you put him against other like size guards, he really does a good job holding his own. But what they ask him to do in the switch everything system is switch on the guys, but then just hold long enough that you're not immediately getting beat. And then somebody can come over, get you out of that matchup and switch you back to either your man or off to the corner or whatever it may be. But it is kind of keyed by having Horford and, and Rob Williams because what Horford can do with his ability at this point in his career to take on the Joel Embiid's and the Giannis's of the world to really body them up and hold his own is huge because that's not Rob's game. We see that. We, we've seen him try to defend those guys. And if, if they can get a shoulder into him, that's how you really can kind of neutralize him. But by doing that, what they started doing was they put Rob on basically, all right, who's the most stationary player on the floor? That's who Rob's going to defend. And he's going to roam off that guy. And if that guy is a three-point shooter well we'll trust that either rob will recover back to him to bother him enough with his incredible leaping ability on these shots or we'll we'll get out there anyway with somebody else and that allows him to play really kind of this roamer role where he's just kind of floating around the baseline in the paint and helping everybody else at the rim so that is pretty huge having those two guys and i will say 
with Rob, if you look at some of the stuff, and I, I looked at some of the numbers that you sent me over, it is funny that some of the things he's almost like a mini Horford in because he'll, he says it regularly. He loves having Al there because that was his guy when he came into the league. And now that he's back, he's like, that's, I watch everything he does and I learn from him over and over and over again. So it's, it's been a lot of fun, um, you know, watching him develop in that way, especially on the offensive end with his sense of passing and those kind of things. Yeah. Uh, he, he had a play in the playoffs where he tried to help down into the key and then got back out to the corner and was able to block the shot. And I can't, yeah. I can't think of a lot of corner threes getting blocked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he gets it enough that it's like a semi-regular thing where you're like, Oh, okay. You know, Rob did that. <laughs> uh, my, my player comp for him is, uh, did you ever play the board game perfection where you have to try to get yeah. all the pieces in before the timer runs yep. out and then it pops up. That <laughs> yeah. that is my player comp. It's when the perfection timer runs out and it pops. That is that I that's it. I feel like every time I see him do anything, that plays in my head. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, no, that is that is great. Yeah, he is um I can't tell you how many times it would be. I think the whole idea of with the Celtics defense of just hold your own, make it tough, don't let them break you down. And then when they're ready to throw up whatever it is at the end of the shot clock, here comes Rob, here comes Horford, here comes Tatum with those long arms, that size, that they're going to make it an even more difficult shot. So, yeah, it's a lot of fun to watch them work together. Uh, I did a project a couple of weeks ago. We were looking at what it takes offensively and defensively for a team to make the finals. And we had out, we, we went through the data and basically the, the outline we came up with is I think you need four above average defenders um, to make the finals. Uh, and then you need five above average defenders in RD LeBron to win the finals historically going back to 2014. Um, and an interesting thing uh, about this Celtics team from last year, they had seven players that were above average defenders, which I know we've talked about the switchability in this podcast, but I think they might have been they were tied for the deepest team in terms of above average defenders since 2014, our entire database. And I feel like that kind of depth, you really got to tip your cap to the organization, the coaching, the front office to acquire that many players um, that are that strong on that side of the ball, I feel like it's something that is very difficult to do. Yeah, absolutely. I, they they have talked about, um, I think, their sense of we wanted to build a team that was going to fit the way Ime Udoka wants to play. And he believes very much. And I want to switch. I want to have guys who are tough. And Ime is very big on probably because that's the kind of player he was as a defender, primarily of if you can't defend, I can't have you on the floor. And then Brad Stevens has talked about, it was no longer enough for this team to just be good in the regular season. Cause they'd done that for years uh, under him. It was, we really need to go get that next step and win. And one of the things he said is we see it every year. There's very good regular season players, but if they can't defend, they can't be on the floor in the postseason. And I think they've really tried to push to say, you know, Hey, if you're going to play for us, you have to be able to defend. You have to be able to get out there and execute in our scheme. And that that's why I think even this offseason, the Gallinari signing maybe seemed a little odd, but I think they believed in, hey, he's always going to be out there with four other, you know, anywhere from pretty good to elite level defenders, and they'll be able to cover for him. And I think they also believe when you put a guy like that, you'll lift him a little bit too. 
um, he'll 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 come up a little. And that's why, you know, even though you would look at it and say, yeah, that doesn't really fit, you know, what you just talked about signing a guy like Gallo. But I think it really is the the idea behind it is, you know, he can fit in here because you're going to be out there with so many other good good defensive players. And and it's not only good defensive players, um, of you know, one type of good, it's, it's a whole bunch, you know, they have real good perimeter guys, good guard defenders, good on ball, good off ball, good help guys. And that, that I think when you meld it all together, that's how you build what, you know, for my money last season was pretty easily by the end of the year, the best defense in the league. Uh, last question, Keith, the Celtics are the Vegas favorites to win the championship. Uh, it was not that way last year. Is the pressure on? Yeah, I think so. I, I think they're coming in with very real expectations this year. Um, they, they, they've been dampened slightly with the injury of Gallinari, but nobody's now saying like, well, you know, all right, you know, a little bit of that pressure's off. There's still, <laughs> I, I think for a lot of people it was, well, you should run to the finals. And now I think it's a little bit like, all right, well, you may have to work a little. And that's, for me, that's going too far. I think there's some really um, good, solid teams in the East, especially Milwaukee. I think Philly has a chance to be pretty good. I, who knows what Brooklyn will be? Um, yeah, I think Zach Lowe is the one who's calling them the Brooklyn on papers, um, which is pretty <laughs> perfect um, because I, I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. But I do think, you know, I think it's fair for the Celtics to be in that group of teams that that could win it um i think that's 100 percent fair to say put them in there because they they can they, they they've shown that they can get there um that was the the sticking point on previous versions is can they get over the hump and finally break through well this group did it they're young enough they've got enough talent they've got enough depth even with gallinari out they should be able to make you know a finals run and it, it, anything i think less than you know, a good deep run in the East finals is going to be a major, major disappointment uh, for everybody. But for most, I think if they're not back in the NBA finals and really with a chance to win, I think a lot of people are going to say, all right, what went wrong this season? All right, Keith Smith, thank you for getting us up to speed on the state of the Celtics. Uh, what is your Twitter handle? Uh, you can find me at Keith Smith NBA. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the show. My name is Taylor. Thank you to Krishna for producing. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Basketball Index Podcast.